Start in 1 John. This is just one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. You are just going to fall in love with this book. It speaks so powerfully and so straightforwardly to where we are in the Lord and where we need to be. And I think if there's any one overarching theme that we're going to run up against again and again in 1 John, it's this whole idea of relationships and fellowship with God and with other people. See, most people understand that the most important things in life are not things at all. The most important things in life are the relationships that we have. And God has put a desire for relationship within each and every one of us, a desire that He intends to be met by the relationships that we have with one another, but more importantly, it's a desire that He intends to be met by the relationship that we have with Him. And in this remarkable letter, the Apostle John tells us the truth about relationships, and he shows us how to have relationships that are real, both now and for eternity. And so, We're going to be blessed as we go through this book, just verse by verse, and see how it speaks to us. And we start off in a big way here. We're going to take a look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 this morning. Let me read the entire text, because it's just so majestic, just to see as a total. And then we'll go back and take a look at it, just piece by piece. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we read, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. In these first four verses of this majestic letter, John is speaking to us more poignantly than anything else about relationships, and about the center of relationship, and that is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how in the first few verses, the first thing he does, he's very careful to talk to us about who Jesus is. And the first thing he wants to do is give us a reference point for identifying Jesus. And he does this by, in the first few words of the letter, saying, that which was from the beginning. Now, what's the beginning that he's talking about? Well, he's not talking about the beginning of his own life or the beginning of his own Christian life. He's not talking about the beginning of the preaching of the gospel or the beginning of Jesus coming to this earth as a baby in Bethlehem. He's not talking about the beginning of God's revelation at Mount Sinai. He's not talking about even the beginning of the creation of the world. The beginning that John is referring to in this first verse of this first chapter of his letter is the beginning that's spoken of in Genesis 1.1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the beginning that John speaks of in the first chapter of his gospel, where he says, that which was from the beginning. Or excuse me, in the beginning was the word, he says in John 1.1. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So in his letter here, when he tells us about that which was from the beginning, he's talking about the beginning before there was anything else. 
Let me bend your mind just for a second here, my friends. We live right now in a world, in a universe that's governed by time. I'm very aware of that. As I'm preaching, you know, you're aware of time. You're aware of uh, the clock ticking and how long I'm speaking. Sometimes time goes no slower than when the pastor's preaching. <laughs> We're all very aware of time, especially at a moment like this. My friends, if we could have some physicist in our midst right now talk to us about time, he would explain to us that time is something more than ticks on a clock. Time is a property, it's, a, it's an item, it's a material thing that physicists can measure and study and analyze. And time is something that we know just in everything that we do. From the moment we're born, the, talks, the clock is ticking. And time is marching forward. My friends, there's a such thing known as eternity. And in eternity, there is no time. God dwells in eternity. And there was a time before time began. There was a time when all there was was God. And he hadn't started the clock of the universe ticking yet. And in that moment, in that arena, when all there was was God, there was nothing before him, there was nothing after him, all there was, that was the beginning that John is speaking about. Now Sunday evening family worship services, we take questions, people write down questions and we collect them, and I answer them from up here. And a couple weeks ago, we had somebody ask the question, how could there be God before there was anything else? And somebody wrote down the question, when I think about it, it makes my head hurt, they wrote. You know, it kind of makes my head hurt, too. We don't know what it's like. Well, all we know is time. My friends, there's a such thing as eternity. And, and whatever John is speaking of here, the first thing he tells us about is that what he's talking about, who he's talking about, they are eternal. They're from the beginning. And he says, that which was from the beginning, this eternal being, now notice the next thing he says in verse, this is mind-blowing. This eternal being, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon in our hands have handled concerning the word of life. It's John's telling us that there's this eternal being that dwells in the heavens. There's this eternal being that created all things and was before all things. And this eternal being, John said, I heard him, I saw him, I studied him, and I touched him. Now, friends, if anything should make your head hurt, that should make your head hurt. That there is an eternal God who created all things, who exists apart from all things. They say, if this whole universe were to perish, God would still be there. And this eternal God came in a way that we can relate to. And John says, I heard him. John says, I saw him. And then notice what he says next. He says, which we have seen with our eyes. That means I saw him. Then he says, which we have looked upon. The literal wording there in the original language is that we studied him intently. John says, I just didn't take a passing glance at this eternal God. I studied him with my eyes. And then he says, I touched him. It wasn't some phantom. It wasn't some ghost. I saw him, I heard him, I studied him, I 
touched him. Friends, this is mind-blowing. What John's trying to tell us is that the eternal God, the one who sits enthroned in the heavens, he has come down to this world and he's made himself known in the most basic, in the most accessible way that anyone can relate to. Friends, there's a God out there who is enthroned in the heavens and he's made himself known to man. We can know who he is. You know what else just blows my mind about this? John is speaking as an eyewitness. You know, sometimes when you hear about people talk about Christianity and you read about it in a magazine or in the newspaper, some scientist, some guy in a white lab coat, well, you know, uh, those religious people and their superstitions just trying to explain things that they don't understand. And for them, the way they, you would hear them talk about Christianity, you think, well, you know, they're just talking about uh, something that's a fairy tale. When you talk about Jesus in the first century, in their minds, you may as well be talking about Hansel and Gretel. You may as well be talking about Little Red Riding Hood. It's just a story people make up to make themselves feel better. They say, we're not talking about some fairy tale here. We're not talking about Hansel and Gretel. We're not talking about Little Red Riding Hood. We're not talking about Zeus and Apollos up on the airy heights of Mount Olympus. We're not talking about fairy tales. We're talking about something that men and women have eyewitnessed, that they've heard with their ears, that they've seen with their eyes, that they've studied intently, that they've touched with their hands. This isn't myth. This isn't fairy tale. This isn't clever storytelling. John's saying, I have carefully studied the eternal one, and I know who I'm talking about. I've made a study of it. John says, let me tell you who this guy is. At the end of verse 1, did you notice that? He says, it's concerning the word of life. Now, friends, that word, as you look at it in my Bible, I don't know exactly how it is in your translation. I like it, though. In my, you might want to underline this. It's capitalized, isn't it? Do you know why it's capitalized? Because when he uses that phrase, the word of life, He's using a very specific word in the original language. It's the Greek word logos. He says the logos of life. And friends, this idea of the word of God, of the logos, this is a big idea. You know, the ancient Jews, when they didn't want to refer to God directly, they thought God was too holy, they thought he was too majestic, you don't want to refer to him directly. So they would refer to him as the word of God sometimes. They thought that the idea between God and his word was interchangeable. So when you said the word of God, you may as well be saying God himself. So when John says the word of life, he means something special there. But then you have what the ancient Greeks used to think about this idea of the logos, of the word. My friends, you know, we live in a pretty scientific, technological age, and sometimes we think we're so smart. You know, the ancient Greeks were pretty smart. They were brilliant scientists. They were brilliant philosophers. They knew about science and philosophy, and they thought about the heavy things of life. And the ancient Greeks, when they looked around the universe, they saw that there was an order to it, that there was an organization to it. They knew that it didn't just happen by chance. They knew that things were put together purposefully, that the sun and the moon and the stars, that they revolved and they moved in an orderly pattern, that it wasn't just all chaotic in the universe. 
They knew that the seasons came and went. They knew that the tides ebbed and flowed. They knew that there was an order and an organization to the universe. And they said somebody had to design this whole thing. There has to be a designer. There has to be an ultimate reason, an ultimate logic out there. And they said, we're going to call that ultimate reason, that ultimate logic, the logos. And you know what John's saying? He's saying, listen, you know what? There's this eternal God out there. There's this logos. There's this ultimate reason. There's God himself. And John's looking at us square in the eye and he says, I heard him, I saw him, I studied him, and I touched him. And wouldn't that just blow your mind? See, you mean the one who put everything together in this universe? You touched him? John said, you bet. I touched him, John's telling us. More than that, if you look at verse 2, he says, the life was manifested. Do you know what it means to manifest something? It means to make it plain, to make it visible, to make it tangible. It doesn't mean that the thing wasn't there before. It's just now you can see it. For example, here's my Bible, right? And you can all see my Bible as I lift it up before you. It's manifested before you. Now, if I were to put my Bible behind this podium, my Bible isn't manifested anymore. You can't see it. It's hidden. It's still there. It's still real. It still exists. It's just not manifested. But as I lift it up, well, now it's manifested again. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, existed before it was manifested, but there came a time when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, and it wasn't just that God was invisible in the heavens any longer, it's that God was manifested. And you could see him, and you could hear him, and you could touch him. It's no fairy tale, no once upon a time. This is real, and John is telling us about it as an eyewitness. He says, that life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now tell us about this, John. You're honest. You got our attention. You're telling us that there's this eternal God and that he's real and that he manifested himself to us. And you saw him and touched him and heard him and studied him. Tell us about this God, John. And he says, look at verse 3. This is where it really gets exciting. He's just been setting you up before this. This is the really thrilling part in verse 3. It says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. All right, John, we're on it. We're, you're telling us about it. Okay, now check it out. Verse 3. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, this is mind-blowing if we can really understand what it's saying. I wish right now that I somehow had the, had the ability to just wipe out your knowledge for a few minutes of everything you know about Christianity and just take your mind with a blank slate. You know, on the way back from Israel, they're showing a movie on the plane, and it's this movie called Men in Black, and they hold up this little thing, and they, they push this thing, and it flashes, and it wipes clean your memory. Well, I wish I could just wipe clean everything you know about Christianity just for a moment so that you could experience it brand new in your mind. And that I could tell you, you know what? There's a God who's been from all of eternity. He's the eternal God. He made all things. And he came to earth and men touched him and saw him and heard him and studied him. And here's the big thing you can enter into a relationship with that God. You know, we've heard it so many times before. That's, oh, yeah, ho-ho, oh, oh, yeah, whatever, ho-hum. Oh, 
My friends, if we can really grasp hold with new ears and with new eyes what that is, it'll blow your mind. You say, wait a minute. Wait, the first thing you understand is, why would this God want to have a relationship with me? It's because he loves you. He cares about you. And not just why would he want to, but you mean he's really made it possible so that I can? And yes, he has. This word of life, this eternal God, he's come and he's one of heaven. Do you see that word in verse 3? Very important word that he repeats twice in verse 3. It's that word fellowship. That word fellowship was a very important word in the ancient world. It's the ancient Greek word koinonia. And it has the idea of a sharing, of a communion, of a common bond, of a common life. It speaks of a living, breathing, sharing, loving relationship with another person. And John is telling us that we can have fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son. Ladies and gentlemen, that's astounding. You can have a real relationship with God the Father and with God the Son. And I'm not just talking about a little relationship. I'm talking about a real relationship, a fellowship, a koinonia. Friends, that should blow our minds. If we could see it with new eyes, we'd say, whoa. The eternal God wants to have and has made it possible for me to have a relationship with him. You know, Jesus, when he taught, brought the same truth to people and just blew their minds with it. I think of the time when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, I'll teach you. I'll give you a model prayer. And he started out with that model prayer, and he said, Our Father who is in heaven. And right then, he would have blown away everybody he was speaking to because in those days, they would never refer to God as their Father. That was too close. That was too intimate. And Jesus said, no, you can have a close relationship with God. You can have an intimate relationship with Him. You can have a relationship with Him so close that you can call Him your Father. Not only your Savior, but your friend. Your closest relationship. You can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, friends, can I just be real honest about this? This is kind of cut through the religious stuff and speak through really honestly about this. As I talk about having a real relationship with the eternal God, there are many of you, if you were honest about it, you'd tell me that that just doesn't really appeal to you. You know, we talk as if everybody wants a relationship with the eternal God, but honestly, some of us don't. Now, some of us don't want to have a relationship with the real God because we don't really know who he is. We don't understand who he is. And for me to say, you can have a relationship with the eternal God, is like telling an eighth grader, you can have a relationship with the assistant principal. It's like, are you kidding me? What? I don't want a relationship with the assistant principal. He's the bad guy. He's the you know, enforcer of discipline at the school. What do I want a personal relationship with him for? I want to stay away from the assistant principal. And you know, when you see God as the heavy, as the great disciplinarian in heaven, as the one who's constantly angry with you, you're falling short in front of all the time. Last thing you want to do is draw close to him. Why do you want to draw close to somebody you feel like is going to yell at you all the time? 
You see, friends, when we don't understand the greatness and the goodness and the glory and the love and the grace of God, then we don't want to draw close to Him. I think this is a revolution that has to happen in some of our minds. Some of us just have to have our minds fixed so we know who God is. Because when you don't know who God really is, then you probably don't want to draw close to Him. Then others of us, well... We may want to draw close to God, but we don't because we just feel like it's impossible. We feel like there's a grand canyon between us and God. We're on one side of the grand canyon, he's on the other. And he's shouting out to us, you can have a relationship with me. And it's like, yeah, it sounds nice, but there's this grand canyon between us and you, God. You know what we need to realize is that that's why Jesus came. And he laid his cross across that Grand Canyon. And you and I can walk on that cross because of what Jesus has done. He's bridged the gap between us and God. Everything he did, coming as a baby, living and dying and rising again. Friends, all of it was so that he could bridge that gap and make relationship between God and man. Now, might I say, too, it's important for us to understand that we can only have this kind of relationship with God, with Jesus, because he is the eternal God. If Jesus is just a man, then what I'm saying to you is foolish. How about if I stand before you and say, you can have a personal relationship this morning with Abraham Lincoln. Now, what are you, crazy? He's dead. You know, I could read his speeches and read his writings, and, well, I'm... Imbued with the spirit of Abraham Lincoln. You say, you're crazy, David. And I would be crazy if I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln. But who I'm talking about isn't just a dead man. No, no, no. He's the eternal God and he's not dead at all. He's resurrected. And you can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about some fairy tale figment of your imagination. You know, some, something that some psychotic person would have. I'm not about some mental problem in your mind I'm talking about a real relationship with a real person Jesus Christ you can have it and not just relationship but as it says here in verse 3 did you notice this he says truly our fellowship is with the father you can have a real sharing of relationship a common life and when we have fellowship with Jesus we're going to be coming more like him Really, isn't this one of the real tests of relationship with Jesus? Isn't that one of the tricky things about our world today? A lot of people out there, they all, oh, I have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I have a relationship with Jesus. But you look at their lives, it doesn't look like they have a relationship with Jesus. You look at them and you say, would Jesus do that? Not in a million years. Well, friends, when we have real fellowship with Jesus, when we have a common life, when we have a sharing of lives with Jesus Christ, we're going to be becoming more like him. And if you really want to know if your relationship with Jesus Christ is real, ask yourself, am I becoming more like him? Am I becoming more loving like Jesus? More forgiving like Jesus? That's the real test of relationship. I think there's something else here in verse 3 that I kind of skipped over, but we need to go back to. Yes, John tells us that we can have a relationship with God the Father and with God the Son, but that's not what he first talks about. Did you see that in verse 3? Maybe you caught on to this and you wonder why I passed it over. He says in verse 3, 
that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. First, he talks about having fellowship with us. Then he talks about having fellowship with God. Now, why does he do that? Is it because it's more important to have fellowship with people than it is to have fellowship with God? No, it's not more important. Ladies and gentlemen, the most important relationship you're ever going to have is your relationship with God. And though every other relationship in your life might crumble, you have to keep your relationship with God strong and active and vital. Every other relationship can pass away. Every other relationship should come in second place. Your relationship with God is most important. And John doesn't list first the relationship that we have with other people because it's more important. You know why he lists it first? Because for many people, that's how they come into relationship with God. First, they come into relationship with people who know God. Then they come into relationship with God. Now, isn't that how it happened for many of you? You became friends with somebody who really knew Jesus Christ. And there was something about that person. There was just something there that, that sort of drew you. There's something there. And you didn't articulate it. You couldn't say it, but you just knew it was there. And as you came into a relationship with them, they led you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, friends, that's often how it happens. And that's how it should be happening in your life. If you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, other people are going to be noticing it. And they're going to be drawn to Jesus just by looking at you. And so he tells us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And then he wraps it all up in verse 4. And you read verse 4, right? You know, that, that's the good part right there. He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. That's the result of relationship. The result of having a relationship with God is that you have fullness of joy in your life. Now friends, you know what joy is? Joy is different from happiness. Joy is an abiding sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on God. You know what happiness is? Happiness is a sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on circumstances. You can have a life filled with happy occasions and never really know joy. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say you go to a movie theater and you're there in a crowded movie theater and you're watching a funny movie. And everybody's laughing and just screaming. They're howling with laughter. It's so funny. What a funny movie. And everybody's just everybody's so happy. You know, you know, what a great, great movie. And as soon as the movie's over and you're walking out of the theater, you start thinking about all your problems again. And just the depression or the gloom or the, the sense of disappointment just comes flooding in on you again. Now, you were happy for a, an hour and a half while you're watching the movie, right? Oh, it was great! But as soon as that's over, it all comes back on you again. Now, joy abides. Because joy isn't based on circumstances. Joy is based on God. And when you know who God is, and when you have a personal relationship with Him, you can have joy in your life all the time. 
See, God has put within every person a need for joy. And that need can only be fulfilled by our relationship with Jesus. And my friends, I look out on our world today and I see a world that is hungry for joy but doesn't even know it. And think about all the things we fill our lives with just to have some fun, just to have some excitement. You know what people are really looking for? They're really looking for joy. I mean, think of that person, you know, they're there, they, they go to Disneyland all the time, there's just all oh, the rides, and there's that jolt of excitement. Or they're bungee jumping, or they're doing this sport, or that sport, or whatever they can do just to get that charge in their life. They're going after this form of entertainment, that form, whatever they can fill their life with, whatever new toy, whatever new status, and whatever, they're just looking for something, give them that jolt. So they can feel something. And you know what they're really looking for? They're looking for that joy that comes from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, my friends, it's like this. It's like God's made our whole being like a jigsaw puzzle. You ever work on a jigsaw puzzle, really hard one? You know, you're, you're working on it really hard, and you, it's hard, and you, it's hard, and you got, it seems like 10,000 pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. You work on it, you work, you're almost to the finish, and you go, you're putting it all together, and finally you get to the end of it, and you realize... There's a piece missing. Don't you hate that? It's like all those hours of work have been for nothing because there's a piece missing and it's not finished. You don't know where it is. You look under the couch. You look everywhere. You just can't find it. It's, it's, it's almost enough just to make you mad because that piece is missing. It's not there. There's, it's incomplete. Well, I believe our whole being is like a jigsaw puzzle that God intentionally made with a piece missing. And you know what the piece missing is? It's him. And we try to fill it with all sorts of different things. We fill it with this. We fill it with that. We fill it with, with uh, you know, things. We fill it with relationships. We fill it with sex. We fill it with drugs. We try to fill it with anything we can. Nothing fits. But when we fill it with that living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the missing piece. And it fits. And there's a sense of wholeness and joy and fullness of joy that comes into our life. There's nothing that can replace that, my friends. God has made each and every one of us with like a God-shaped missing piece in us that He meant to be fulfilled with a relationship with Him. And doesn't this put some things into perspective in your life right now? I mean... This sense of dissatisfaction and unease you have in your life. You thought it was because you're not making enough money. It's not because of that. You thought it was because everything in your marriage isn't right. It's not that. You thought it was because uh, uh, things with your kids weren't fine. It's not that. My friends, the foundation for having that life full of joy is having that living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. In these things we write to you that your joy may be full. My friends, I think that there's probably some people here this morning who have never entered into that real relationship with Jesus. Oh, you've gone to church. I mean, look, you're here this morning. It's great that you're here, but can I just tell you that going to church and having a relationship with Jesus aren't the same thing? It's really not. You can go to church every day for the rest of your life and never have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully going to church will help lead you into a relationship, but not necessarily so. You can resist it. 
There may be some people here who have never entered into that real relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, this is the morning right now. Why put it off any longer? God has made, and you understand who God is, right? He's not the assistant principal in the sky. He's the real God who loves you and has poured out His grace and love, and He's drawing you close to Him. But I think there's probably more of us here this morning. We know what it's like to have a relationship with God, but if we'd be honest, it's, it's kind of grown cold. I mean, just honestly speaking, you look and you say, that relationship I have with the Lord, yeah, it's okay, but I remember a time in the past when it was a lot better. You don't have to settle for that, my friends. God never intended that your relationship with Him just burn really strong at one time and then just kind of go downhill the rest of your life. God intends that your relationship with Him just go from glory to glory and get better and better. And if you look at your relationship with God right now and say, you know what, ah, it's okay, but I mean, it's been better. It doesn't have to be just okay. You can come to God and say, you know what, I want this fellowship with you. And I want you to remove every obstacle that's diminished my relationship with you, Lord. And let's get back to basics, God. And what it's all about is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray right now and ask God to... I think that's a, I think that's a spiritual work that God needs to do in our hearts. And I think He'll answer our prayers towards that sense. Let's come before Him right now.